How's it going? This is Captain Cam with Blackbird Guide Services, and I will be your host for today's episode of Eastern Current. And our guest today is Ryan McFall, who is a fly tire here out of Wilmington, North Carolina, which is where we're based. And I'm excited for this one. Ryan and I have been talking for a couple years now, and uh, he's he's given me a lot of inspiration for my own flies, and I have uh, I have talked to him about how to tie certain things, and he's just a really, really good source of knowledge, and he's an expert at his craft. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com, and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. Ryan. How's it going, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm excited to have you here. Um, you've had a, a big impact on my fly tying, for sure. I appreciate that. And I've, I've been following you on social media for probably two years now. Okay, yeah. And I've just been super impressed by your creativity, the stuff that you come up with your the quality of your flies is just phenomenal i appreciate that um so my my plan is to go through your background mm-hmm. talk about how you got into fishing and then also talk about how you got into fly tying and what you see on the horizon and what your goals are and what have you so cool you mind starting off with just telling us how you got into fishing sure yeah yeah i uh I don't really remember a time not fishing. Um, so kind of goes back to my earliest memories and my mom dated a guy for a very long time and he, he was super passionate about fishing in this area. So I'm actually a local to Wilmington and grew up fishing down uh, like Fort Fisher. And, um, so grew up mostly fishing conventional gear. Um, a lot of bait fishing and stuff like that, which as a kid is fantastic. Cause you know, you it tend is. to catch a little bit more and stuff like <laughs> everything, eats some shrimp. So That's like, right. yeah, man, it's a good time. And, um, and so after I kind of caught the bug, um, we moved more into like artificials and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. there was something kind of exciting about adding more of your own, I was going to say your own spin. That's kind of a pun there. Um, fly tying pun, but adding your own, uh, kind of influence on the lure that you're using or the bait yeah. that you're using. It's kind of yeah. fun. So it added a new layer. And, um, as we got into that, uh, Ken was my mom's uh, boyfriend's name at the time. And he, uh, he started to get into fly fishing a little bit and I didn't know what he was doing. He's like whipping this noodle around in the air. And like, it didn't make any sense to <laughs> That's me. That's a man. good way of describing yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he's got these little feathery things and I'm like, Oh, that's cute. Like, all yeah. right. And, uh, I'll stick to my gulps and stuff like that. Right. And, um, and so he just kind of, he didn't force it upon me to try it, which mm-hmm. was great. That's kind of what I needed, but it was, on kind of my periphery a little bit. Like I could see that he was doing it. I was kind of interested, but like over time, 
the more he did it, I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, it's weird, but it's kind of cool. And so eventually he and I went to Dick's Sporting Goods and got like, I'm sure it's like the cheapest fly combo you could get. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like 30 bucks or something yeah. like that. And um, <laughs> it was like a four or five weight, which if anybody is not super familiar with fly fishing, like it's on the lower side in terms of like strength or power of your rod. Like, Yeah, it's, it's man- like a river trout rod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was perfect for catching like bluegill and small bass and stuff like that. Yeah. And so that's where it all started for fly fishing for me. And at that point I probably would have been 10, 11, something like that. Yeah. And, um, so I fished with that rod and like, you don't need anything super fancy to catch fish. Like I'm, I need to tell myself that too. Cause I'm, uh, guilty of spending way too much money on things sometimes. But, um, I use that little combo for the longest time and then I, I shut it in a door and, uh, and then it kind of like ceased my fly fishing for a while. And um, then truly I picked it back up. Um, I don't know. It's probably been three years ago or so, um, yeah. three, four years ago and dove head first again. And, uh, and I haven't, haven't stopped since. Haven't then. let it down since. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the history of fishing. Um, these days I don't really fish conventional gear very much. I think there's a lot to be gathered and we can get into that from conventional gear and from like conventional lures. Um, but I'm kind of like, I'm kind of obsessed with that weird noodly thing that we throw through the air. Like it's kind of fun. <laughs> it uh. is. Yeah. There's a lot to learn. It poses a lot of challenges mm-hmm. and it's just one of those things that you definitely don't start off just being really good at. No. Uh, it no. takes a lot of practice and, and it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. I, I, I always relate it to because when I first started doing a lot of saltwater fly fishing, um, a lot of the people that I grew up with that fished a lot were like, man, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that's that's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. And I was like, you know, you, all these guys hunt mm-hmm. and they all bow hunt right. as well. And I'm like, you got to think about it this way. To me, it's like fishing with the spinning rod is kind of like hunting with the rifle. Mm-hmm. And fly fishing is more like bow hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're it's a lot more challenging. You got to get, you know, a lot of times a lot closer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so don't make fun of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a beautiful comparison. And it, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I. Uh, it's funny that you bring that up because I have a really close friend, Josh. I love you. Um, who is really into conventional fishing? That's totally fine. And we've gone out fishing together, and he'll catch lots of fish, and I'll catch one, um, or maybe I'll catch none. And I still have a great time, but I can tell that there's a part of him that's like, "What are you doing, man? Like, yeah. why are you spending all this time? Yeah, trying to catch one fish, but." Yeah, there's something to it, and and there's something even better about when you catch a fish on a fly rod with something that you made. No doubt. I mean, there's no, in my opinion, there's no better feeling in fishing. You're like, man, I made something, you know, essentially from scratch. Yeah, that tricked a fish into thinking it was something that it wanted to eat. Yeah, no doubt. So that's always a cool thing to think about. Yeah. Um. So you live here in Wilmington. Mm-hmm. And have you been doing much saltwater fishing recently or has it been mostly, I, I know that you do a lot of bass fishing still. Yeah, I as do. Well. Um, and that kind of goes into, you were asking like, how do you test your flies? Or you and I were talking, I don't know if it was before the show or during the show. Um, mm-hmm. And those two things are connected, but I do a little bit of saltwater fishing. Um, I've got a, a kayak, which is great to get out on. Um, I'm a fan of like taking my kayak to a location and then getting out and waiting um so i've actually had quite a bit of success relatively speaking yeah um 
fishing in some little creeks and stuff like that. So, so it's a good time. But um, no, I don't get out in the salt as much as I'd like to. And it's funny when I connect with people on social media or whatever else who live inland and they find out that I live on the coast and don't saltwater fly fish every hour of every single day. Yeah. Um, they're like, what the heck, man? Like, what are you doing? Like, you're there. <laughs> this is where everybody travels to go catch reds and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. I definitely, uh, I might take it for granted and I can, I can own up to that. Well, we'll have to get out there together at some point. I know that we've that. talked about it before. Two little kids can make it a little tough, but, um, we'll definitely make it happen. Sounds good, man. I got it. So for everyone listening, Ryan told me one time that he, had a chartreuse, chartreuse mm-hmm. clouser mm-hmm. that you were blind casting and you caught like seven, seven redfish. Yeah, yeah, in about an hour and a half. So after you told me that, I was like, I need to start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> because at least like in the world of sight fishing, which is generally, you know, probably 75% of what I do is you get so focused on, I need to see the fish mm-hmm. to catch them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some people, that's all they want to do. Mm-hmm. And you get so locked into that that you don't think about blind casting. Yeah. And, uh, so I started, I started doing that actually after we had that discussion. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it really only, I really only did it when it was really cloudy mm-hmm. or really windy mm-hmm. or the tide was wrong because it, here in Wilmington or Riceville beach or, you know, Southern North Carolina, um, we have big tide swings, mm-hmm. like six, six foot tide swings sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there generally there's, you know, a, a window when the fishing is really good for sight fishing and that's generally speaking low tide. Right. Um, there is high tide spots mm-hmm. definitely, but they're kind of few and far between. Mm-hmm. And so on these mid tides and these high tides, when, if there's no fish on those like flooded grass spots or you know, on, on flats that are still kind of shallow on a high tide. What do you do with a fly fisherman that that's all he wants to throw? Right. And so I started doing that and I mean, we're catching flounder. Yeah. Catch some trout. No doubt. He caught a couple red fish. I was like, thank you, Ryan. Yeah, no doubt, man. <laughs> no, it's a blast. It uh, really is. It's definitely, there is an element to sight fishing that you can't, you can't replicate by blind casting. Like right. there's something about seeing the fish, seeing the eat. And, um, and we'll get into that too later on, seeing the eat specifically. But, uh, but man, if you want to go out and catch some fish or just get familiar with fly casting, like yeah. what a way to do it. Yeah, and that's the other big thing too, especially for me taking people a lot that, you know, might not be the best fly fisherman in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And just that repetitive casting mm-hmm. over and over again. I mean, just four hours of doing that, you know, a half-day trip or whatever. By the end of that trip, they're – they're casting a lot further than they were for sure. And given it's a good opportunity f- for, you know, whoever's guiding the boat or, mm-hmm. you know, the better fly fisherman on the goat on the boat to give some pointers. Yeah. Whether absolutely. that be, you know, double haul or, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. So it, that, that was really kind of eye opening for me. And I, and definitely you brought that into my brain. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, let's get into your fly tying a little bit. Sure. So, Ryan is extremely good at tying changers. 
you want to explain what a changer is? I think you might want to explain okay. the cha- what Fair a changer enough. is because you can probably do it a little more eloquently well, than I we'll can. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I try to tell my wife and she doesn't really want to hear it sometimes. <laughs> um, no, so uh, a changer, that's short for a game changer. And I just want to be very clear, like I didn't design this fly. I also didn't come up with the name. I'm honestly not a huge fan of the name. Um, yeah. It's a little flashy sounding um the game changer fly. Um, <laughs> it's not quite my thing but uh essentially what this is is it is a fly made up of lots of little tiny flies and so what i mean by that is if you think about tying a fly typically we're thinking it is one hook and you're attaching flash feathers hair synthetic materials to one hook well, that has some movement within those materials, but the hook itself doesn't have much movement. And so the idea of making a game changer or an articulated fly is you're attaching multiple sections, we call them shanks typically, um, behind that hook, sometimes in front, but mostly behind. And so if you think about a hook and then almost like a bunch of little tiny paper clips behind it, and you're tying a little a tiny fly on it. each of those little <laughs> tiny paper clips that are all kind of linked together like a little chain. And what you end up with is a longer fly. So you can add a lot of length to your fly, keeping the hook up front. Um, And you also get a whole lot more movement. So the really short way of explaining this to people, and this is how I explained it to my friends who fish conventional gear, is this is a fly version of a swim bait. Yeah. And um, like a jointed swim swim bait. And and they work really well in a lot of situations. Um, I mean, fantastically. Yeah. The only downside, Tim, is they take about, at least for me, about 45 minutes to tie. Yeah. But they're worth it. Yeah. Because they're they're really durable mm -hmm, as well. mm -hmm. Especially the synthetic ones. um, Yeah. Very durable. And so this, the way that I'll describe this to everybody is this is what we call a platform. So the game changer platform is that idea of having a hook and then having shanks either ahead of the hook or behind the hook. Um, Within that, you can do all sorts of stuff and you can scale this up and down. So... I've tied game changers or articulated flies that are, I don't know, an inch and a half to two inches long. Um, so very small on the grand scheme of things. And then I've also, like just last week, I sent out some 12-inch musky flies that were made with the same platforms. So, and those are articulating yeah. musky flies? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can do whatever you want with this in terms of size. You can also do whatever you want within um, that platform with materials. So... I tie bucktail game changers. And so most people, if you're into fly tying at all, you've probably encountered bucktail, especially um, one of the entry flies that people start learning how to tie is a clouser. Yeah. And it's absolutely a fantastic fly. Um, and we can dive into that if we need to, but uh, it's a great one to learn on too. But um, yeah, that's a great first fly to learn. Yeah. And, and on top of that, I would wager that it probably has caught the most species of saltwater fish out of any Freshwater too, yeah. And, and it's like the simplest fly oh, to my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's bounce back to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So you can use things like bucktail to make these game changers. Um, typically, I'm using that for larger uh, game changers. So those musky flies that I made were bucktail and some synthetics, and I don't need to get too in the weeds about that. But um, you can also make game changers with feathers. So um, I use hen saddle feathers. Um can also use a lot of synthetics. And so I make things called brushes. Um, some people are going to be familiar with that. Others are not. I'm essentially spinning up materials between two wires. And um, those wires end up making um, kind of like a, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. We were in Hobby Lobby recently and I saw something called a bottle brush. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody's seen that. Um, 
And so it's two wires spun together and the material sticks out. And so you get this kind of like 360 degree spread of materials and you can use that to wrap around your hook shank. I'm starting to get in the weeds here. So if anybody's wondering what it is, look up a dubbing brush. You'll see it on Google faster yeah. than I can describe it. But, <laughs> um, but synthetics are fantastic too. So th- really, if we kind of back our way out of this little hole that I've dug us in, the Game Changer platform can be used to tie a lot of different types of flies, a lot of different sizes with a lot of different materials. Um, the downfall, it does take a long time when you lose one on an oyster or something like that. Like it hurts a little more. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but you can also catch 50 fish on the same fly if you tie it well. So yeah. it's a good would thing. You, would, in, in the synthetic ones, don't hold a lot of water. Mm-mm. So they're pretty easy to cast. They don't get very heavy. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, so do you have uh, a favorite material for when you're tying changers? Maybe favorite in the way it looks, but also a favorite in its fishability and, and you know, you feel like it f- catches more fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I do. And it's going to kind of go in, in two directions. So I'll do my best to kind of stay on track here. But um, my favorite for what I tie is using those dubbing brushes with synthetic materials. So I'm using polypropylene yarn. Um, EP fibers are pretty much the same thing. There's a lot of different ones on the market. Um, I think EP is probably the most familiar to most people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a synthetic material. It doesn't hold water. Um, it sheds any water that's stuck between it in the first back cast. Um, very durable. So I really like doing that and tying changers out of those, but the downfall of that style is there's a lot of trimming. And uh, and so I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with that. Like you you spend forever tying this fly and you're linking all these little pieces together and stuff like that. And then you just have this giant fuzzball. <laughs> yeah. um, if you ever want a really good example of that, Ryan does some great Instagram videos where he has the untrimmed fly in his hand, the unt- untrimmed changer in his hand that just looks like, I mean, a cotton ball. Yeah, yeah. And then he like you have a really good transition into here's the trimmed, mm-hmm. the trimmed completed version, mm-hmm. uh, and it looks amazing. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's uh, this is gonna sound so dramatic, but it's like I'm finding the statue of David inside the marble. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like somewhere inside this fuzzball, there is a fishable fly. Yeah, there um, is a beautiful fly just waiting to be trimmed out. Yeah, and so for me, and people do not like hearing this, but. I spend almost as long trimming as I do tying. And um, well, I, there's a good saying: you can, you can uh, not put it back on. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a full saying. <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. Like if you cut it all off, like you can't put it back. Yeah, so you might as well take your time um, because once you cut too much off, there's no putting it back on. So. You can't unseason your food. Now. That's right. Yeah, like that's it's right. in there. Um, yeah, yeah. So I take a long time to trim. And um, it's amazing how the shape that you trim and things like that can make a pretty big difference. Now, what I'll say, especially for people who are tying game changers and and things like that, they do not have to be perfect to catch fish. Mm -hmm. Like, I think sometimes we give these fish way too much credit. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, they're... They're going to eat if it looks remotely good. Like, if I'm hungry, like, I'm not going to be super picky and be like, oh, I wanted a New York strip. This is a (laughs) sirloin. Like, it's not that serious. And so my very first game changer, like, oh, I wish I still had it. It was so ugly. I got some ugly ones downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Uh, And so, but I caught three bass in, like, I don't know, a short amount of time, the first one that I made. And I was like, whoa, like... 
mine doesn't look like anybody else's online because nobody puts their bad ones online. Yeah, and, right. uh, but mine still caught fish. And so anybody who's starting, like, don't get stressed out about it. But I'll back us back to, or I'll get us back to trimming. Um, changing the shape can affect the swimming pattern and things like that quite a bit. So this is something that you can... You can tie a simple one, catch a lot of fish. You can also really buckle down and start adjusting little things here and there and kind of learn more about the, the fly that you're tying. So that's more the synthetic changers. Uh, those are my favorite to tie. The other end of the spectrum is instead of using synthetics and kind of carving or shaping your fly, uh, you can use natural materials that are going to move on the fly. So the best way that I can describe this is like if you put a feather, like a hen feather or something like that, it's a pretty mm-hmm. webby, soft feather. Even just one of those links is going to have some movement because that feather is pulsating in the water. And you can't replicate that with stiffer synthetics. Like mm-hmm. they're just sitting there. Um, so on things like a feather game changer, which is kind of my other favorite pattern to tie, um, the fly itself is moving. So if you've got any sort of current or anything like that, that fly is pulsating even if you're not stripping the fly in. The synthetic ones, you need to impart all the movement on that fly with the strip, or I don't encourage using the rod tip. That's not going to help you out in the long run. Unless it's really close to the boat. Right. Then then you can use your rod tip. Yeah, yeah, we'll allow it. Um, So, but those feather game changers or bucktail game changers, uh, they move on their own. And then also you get the added advantage of having the articulations or the different spines Mm -hmm. that add even more movement. So it's like, I don't know. It's 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 a... An advantage, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I have yet to tie a feather changer, and I think I'm a little intimidated by tying a feather changer because it's already hard enough. Like, I use a lot of that chocolate body wrap, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is super easy mm-hmm. to palmer on to those little, uh, you know, like chain links that we were talking about. Right. When you're, using, when you're palmering on feathers is, or, I think you had said it before, but what is the type of, feather that you like to use for palmering onto those? So I get hen saddles. So American Whiting Farms, American hen saddles, if you want the the real nitty gritty. Uh-huh. Um, people talk about being intimidated by it. I get it. It's also one of the easiest methods to make a game changer once you kind of know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and the reason is, is whoever designed chickens in the first place, we can argue about who created chickens or what created <laughs> chickens, but whoever created them made it in a way that the saddle that you get, um, the feathers are kind of in order of how large they are. Right. And so you can start from one end and start, you'll, you'll find the smallest feathers on one end. That's pretty obvious. And then you can work your way up or down the saddle, depending on how you're holding it. And it gives you bigger feathers. Oh, wow. Or smaller feathers. And so the beauty of that, though, is that you have a natural taper to your fly. So near the tail, you want a tail on your fly. And then... I call it the wrist. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's that spot right before the tail that's usually the narrowest part of any sort of fish. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where I would use my smallest feather. And then I'm going to increase as I move kind of up that saddle and increase the size of the feathers as I go. And it's going to build a body as we go. And it's going to kind of naturally taper the fly. So no trimming. No trimming. No trimming involved. That's That's the the beauty. beauty. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that's the beauty. So, um, I, I highly encourage people to try them. Um, they work really well. I've caught drum on them. Like they work well around here. I'm they sure help. a drum would crush one of those things. Yeah. Um, they also work really well in freshwater. So if you're fishing 
I mean, even in rivers and things like that, they work great. They catch fish in ponds and stuff like that too. I mean, it's once again, like we give fish too much credit. It looks fishy. It moves a lot. Like pick some colors that tend to work. Yeah. You'll, you'll have a good time. In the articulation on those things. I mean, they just, they just look like they're just screaming, eat me. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so I think we got, you know, you're very specialized in changers, I would say. You can do all different materials, different sizes. But I would say the other big thing that you're extremely good at is stacking and, and spinning deer hair, mm-hmm. which is, I would argue, much harder than making changers. It's uh, It definitely takes some practice. Why not, can you explain to people what stacking and, and spinning deer hair is? Mm, yeah, I can. I didn't mentally prepare for this before. So <laughs> let's see how it goes. It's off the cuff. Um, yeah, so deer hair, uh, I think most people listening know what a deer is. So this is hair off of a deer. And one of the beautiful things about deer hair is that it's it's hollow. And so if you like cut a piece of it, you're probably not going to see that it's hollow. But what is the beauty of it being hollow is that if you apply pressure to it, it flares. And so it kind of like stands itself up a little bit. And um, this, we can kind of come into this in a minute, but there's a lot of deer hair used on saltwater patterns too. So like a Borsky slider has deer hair um, Mm -hmm. on it. So things like that. But um, stacking deer hair is the idea of layering various clumps of deer hair and flaring them out. And so, uh, let me think of how I can describe this. I would take a clump of white deer hair and I would put it on top of the hook. I'd wrap my thread around it and I would pull down and that hair would suddenly kind of puff up. It almost looks like a ball. Yeah. Like you, once you put your pressure on it, almost forms a ball of deer mm-hmm. hair. Mm-hmm. And so the stacking portion, and this is, it's kind of fun once you learn how to do it, is I'm taking that ball, I'm finding kind of the middle of it, and I'm putting another clump on top of that clump. And then I'm going to wrap my hair through it again and I'm going to pull it. And now I've got a ball with another ball inside of it. That's a different color or you could use the same color Yeah. and you can keep doing that over and over and over. And what you end up with is various color patterns and rings and things like that. And you can kind of learn how to manipulate it in the way that you want to make the patterns you want. But yeah. this is most commonly seen with bass bugs. And so um, people like Pat Cohen, he's not really tying very many flies these days, but he kind of, popularized um, using deer hair and making these like really tightly packed bass bugs that they float really well. They're pretty durable when you tie them right. And uh, they're just fun to fish, man. Who doesn't love fishing a popper? Or <sighs> there's a, a fly called a Dahlberg diver. I don't know if you've fished any of those that you strip it and it dives down, makes all these bubbles and it pops back up and like fish just go crazy for them. Yeah. I mean, th- there was a long time where I would see, these flies, these bass flies, and I'd be like, I don't even know what they're using Mm -hmm. to tie these things. I mean, I can tell that it's hair, but like, how is it so compressed? Mm -hmm. How are they shaping this thing? Um, So it's been interesting over the past, you know, couple years to kind of dive into that a little bit. I really haven't experimented with, with deer hair that much um, until recently, just because I, you know, mainly what I tie is redfish flies for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to start getting into some redfish flies that required a, you know, a, a deer hair head. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, they don't require me to stack a bunch of different colors. Right, right. Because I don't think I'm there yet. Um, 
but it but it's it's a really interesting way to uh to add to your arsenal of mm-hmm. you know this is just another skill to learn in fly tying yeah um so talk talk about you know it's a it's a special type of deer hair that is used for this type of fly tying yeah so deer belly hair um tends to be kind of the the thickest hair it tends to have the most kind of hollowness i don't know if that's even a word um well, yeah, hollowness, sure. of course. Um, <laughs> so it flares the best. It also floats a little bit better because it's got more air kind of inside of the hair. Um, and so that's what I would recommend using. You're also going to want something called a hair packer, um, which is essentially, let me think the easiest way to say it is it's, it's a strip of metal that you use to kind of squeeze the hook and then push all the hair back. And so you're trying, as you're making a bass bug or something like that, you're trying to add as much hair as you possibly can. So you'll make these clumps of different stacks of deer hair, and then you'll push that back so you make more room, and then you'll add more, and then you'll push that back so you make more room. And um, it gets hard on the last stack because you're working with like a tiny amount of your hook. You've got like half a deer on a hook. Um, <laughs> it's challenging, but um, but that's kind of the other thing that you're going to want to get if you're trying to make these bass bugs. And once again, I just have to say like people get really intimidated with like seeing perfectly tied flies on the internet. It's doesn't need to be perfect. Oh no, man. The, when I first started, like I didn't have a packer that I was just talking about. And uh, I had a, bug, a buddy named Brandon lives up in Canada and um, he was tying a bunch of bass bugs and he got me kind of jazzed about it. And so I, I got some hair and tried it out. I made a few bugs and they were the ugliest thing I could ever think of seeing. And, um, but I, I took them out and I wanted to see how they would work. And um, the very first day I took them out, I caught the biggest bass that I've caught on a bass bug or on a like deer hair fly on one of the ugliest flies I've ever tied. Ugly flies catch fish. They absolutely do. And so you don't need it to look pristine and perfect. Like it, if you're trying to sell flies and market flies, it probably makes a difference because yeah, people have more sure. confidence in things that look pristine. Of course. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, man, like sometimes they fish better when they're beat up. I 100% agree. Yeah. My best, I mean, this doesn't have to do with fly fishing, but my best top waters mm-hmm. for spin fishing mm-hmm. the ones that work the best mm-hmm. are always the ones that barely have any paint left yeah yeah it's so <laughs> for interesting. some reason yeah <laughs> who knows uh-huh. that could just be in my head but i like to think that's the case absolutely yeah um so we've covered we covered your changers oh one last thing on the deer hair stuff mm-hmm. is so you can make like frogs you can make all different types of color, color variations. Mm-hmm. But it when you're when you're making something like a frog where you have like green, black, you know, maybe another color. Mm-hmm. Or is that is that like a like an ingredient list you can follow or is that just I'm going to try this a bunch of times and I know this is about how much I need of this and this is how much I need of this. So there's let me think of the best way. An ingredient list is a funny way to say that, but I kind of like that. Um I know what to stack where. So I know like if I'm looking for a frog pattern that's going to have two sets of rings on top of it, um, I know what I need to do with that. Now, the material amount, that's just in your head. Like you've got to 
Unless I'm going to sit here and count out like yeah. 364 <laughs> pieces of white and I need 72 pieces. Like that, you just kind of get a feel You'd for it. You'd go insane. Yeah. So people tend to talk about clumps of deer hair um, in terms of like pencil, pencil thicknesses. Thickness, yeah. um, I'm going to kind of switch that up. When you're trying bass bugs, a pencil is not much. So a Sharpie is a good amount. Yeah. Um, so one Sharpie thickness. Um and then you can say, well, half a Sharpie or four Sharpies or whatever. Right. So that's kind of how I would quantify it. But you get used to it. I mean, like anything else that we do with repetition, we get muscle memory. We just get a feel for it. And um, I really, and I can kind of riff on this if you want me to, but I really like kind of doing a repetitive motion over and over you get in almost like a trance-like state. And I think that's partially why I like fly tying so much is you can kind of get lost in it after a while. That's the truth. And I think, you know, that goes for a lot of things. And, I mean, this is a whole different topic, but I've always seeked out things in my life that I can do mm-hmm. in that my brain shuts off mm-hmm. and I don't think about anything other than what I'm focusing on. Yeah. And that those things are rare. Yeah. I mean, it's really, and it varies from person to person. Yeah. Um, fly tying is one of those things. When I'm, If I'm tying a fly, I'm not thinking about, I mean, it's pretty blank. Yeah, <laughs> for brain. sure. For sure. And the same thing goes with, with fishing. It's not, it's not as blank, but all I'm thinking about is where's the fish? Yeah. Where are we going next? Right. Are we using the right bait? You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then th- there's two more things I just wanted to touch on, 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 spinning and stacking deer hair, which mm-hmm. is what is the, because I, I made this mistake. Um, and I'm sure if someone listens to this and like, Oh, I'm going to go tie, um, you know, some bath bugs or whatever. What is the type of thread that oh. you really like for this kind of stuff? Cause I was using two ten <laughs> ultra thread and uh-huh. I was like, every time I tried to pull down and put pressure on the, on the hair to make it, you know, do that form that ball that we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Poof, snap, snap off. Yeah. Your thread would break. Oh yeah. 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 Um, so that's a really good question. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because this is, it will make the difference in successfully doing this or not. Um, so GSP gel spun thread is the most important thing to have second to a hook and deer hair when you're tying (laughs) deer hair flies. Um, so, and I use 200, so GSP 200 means there's 200 tiny little threads within that, um, And so it is, I don't know why it's so much stronger. I probably should know that, but I don't. Um, But man, that stuff is so hard to break. And you do not want to be halfway through a bass bug, like I said, with half a deer on your hook and your thread breaks and the entire thing just falls apart. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Happened to me a lot when I was tying with two. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. So using 200, um, 200 denier, um, GSP thread that is going to be your go-to and I use that even down to really small bass bugs so like a size six a size eight like really small stuff so anytime you're spinning or stacking your hair you're, yeah. using, you're using that thread yeah so that's that's a good thing to know mm-hmm. yeah I'm glad you brought that up um and then the the other part of this that I wanted to bring up is is trimming the mm-hmm. deer hair mm-hmm. which is the most fun part in it's my, awesome. In my opinion, there's nothing more satisfying than than uh, trimming out a, a deer hair fly. Mm-hmm. But what? So it's it's generally done with a razor blade. Yep, um, double sided um, razor blade. So 
I say this because I started using like an exacto knife blade. Like that is not, that's not the way to do it. Um, so you want to get like razor blades for shaving. And so these days, like I'm ordering a hundred packs of them off Amazon and you want a new blade for every single fly. Um, I don't know if you do that, but because they, no. they, yeah, all good. <laughs> they dull so fast. Do they really? Yeah. And you're going to make poor cuts when you've got a dull knife. So like, I don't yeah. know if you've ever heard like, like you're, you're at more risk of using a dull knife than a sharp knife. Like yeah. the same sort of thing with these blades. Like you're going to start trying to cut something and then it's going to like slip and you're going to cut the wrong part out of your fly and stuff like that. So a razor blade is like 10 cents. Like when you buy them in large packs, like I get a hundred pack for like $8. Is there, is there a particular company no. of razor blades? Someone told me, I think I might get this wrong. There's a razor blade company called Excalibur maybe that he was like, there's so much better than so, all of the other ones. I've heard people say that. And so I cannot say that Excalibur or whatever it is, is not the best. I, I don't know. I've never tried it. I will just say for me, like just a brand new, just a brand new blade. blade. Yeah. yeah. They're in the grand scheme of things, really cheap. Like yeah. you spent more on the gas to go buy another pack of them or whatever than it takes to use a new blade. Um, so yeah. And we're using a razor blade and I also like those because they bend so well. So you can, you can bend them and have a curved shape and then cut a curve into your bug instead of using a straight blade and keeping like, like shaving off a little tiny piece, little tiny piece. Um, so definitely recommend using razors. A lot of people start by trying to use scissors and, um, to trim their flies mm-hmm. and it works. It's not pretty. Um, yeah. you're not going to really get like a smooth body to it. And it's also going to get harder and harder to do because let me think of the best way to say this. The density of your deer hair increases the closer you are to the shank. So everything is tied down to the shank. And so as you get closer, all those hairs are kind of packed together. When it's a puff ball, like you can see the separation of the hairs a lot easier out on the outside. But as you get closer and closer to the shank, if you're trying to use scissors, you can't get any purchase. That's kind of a technical term, but like you can't grab any of the hairs as it starts getting more and more dense. So Mm -hmm. that's where a blade is going to make a big difference too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And just like trimming changers, like just like you said earlier, take your time. Because if you cut too much off, can't put it back on. Put it back on. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to come up with something else. Right. You start cutting too much off. Right. Um, so other than, other than changers, other than, you know, the, the deer hair stuff mm-hmm. that we've talked about, what are, what are some other fl- areas of fly fishing that you feel like you, you excel at or that you really like to mm. focus on and then, Maybe a second part to that question is where where do you want to what are some areas that you want to move into? Yeah, good questions. Um areas that I excel or really enjoy. Um, we live on the coast here and we're about four or five hours from trout water, but I actually really do enjoy trout fishing. And so uh, it started with tying little tiny, like a size eighteen and twenty, like nymphs and midges and things like that. I don't when I see those things, yeah, it's wild. I'm like, someone with teeny little hands mm-hmm. had to have done mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Which isn't the case, but they're so freaking small. I'm oh. like, how is this possible? For sure. For sure. And so I started by tying those. I still, from time to time, do. Um, in fact, I just sold all of my trout flies to somebody 
Um, so it's time for me to tie some more. So I need to get some. Yeah, you boxes. had to give yourself an excuse. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, they weren't doing anything sitting in my boxes. So, um, so I, I enjoy tying those sorts of things, but I got into tying streamers for trout. Um, and mm. a streamer, just kind of the difference between a nymph, a midge, a streamer, a dry fly, it's basically like a bait fish pattern. And um, yeah. they're typically a little bit larger. And people think of like trout as like really simple and like quiet creatures that rise up to the top and like sip a little bug on the top. <laughs> right. But the reality is, it's like a brown trout, especially <laughs> super aggressive. Oh my gosh. They're predatory. And yeah. so seeing them come out of their little haunt and just obliterate a fly. Oh, it's so much fun. So that's, that's, that's really interesting to me because my, my introduction to fly fishing was really with, with my dad when we would go out to Montana mm -hmm. to go fly fishing. Mm -hmm. And I probably did that, gosh, 20 plus times. Mm -hmm. Not once did we ever throw a streamer. Mm -hmm. And I swear, I don't even think they were in the fly shops. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you know, now after just, you know, I guess experience and seeing people on social media that trout fish with streamers, I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And that sounds way more fun than throwing a, some nymphs up the mm -hmm. up the river on a indicator yeah <laughs> or sorry a float <laughs> float yeah it's not a bobber man. <laughs> yeah. um yeah well you know it's interesting cj lord is a guy that i've met through social media super nice guy really talented trout fisherman and he almost always uses streamers there is video footage out there of him using something other than a streamer but um he was on a podcast and he was talking about um actively feeding a fish and i'll segue this into kind of you asked what i wanted to do in terms of the direction i want to go i love that about fishing with streamers um or game changers which is a type of streamer or bass bugs you are you're actively fishing instead of waiting for your fly to pass in front of the fish and the fish decides it wants it like that predatory strike from a fish is so addictive and so that is kind of what I'm chasing and what I want to do in the direction that I'm going. And so the flies that I tie these days, I, I tie them. If it's a new pattern to me, I take it out on the water as soon as I possibly can. And you mentioned earlier, I do a lot of bass fishing. It's accessible to me. Like mm -hmm. I can go five minutes down the road and find some bass in a pond. And these are not like the smartest fish in the whole world. And they're not trophy size fish, but I can see that predatory strike. And I can take my different flies and start to notice what is having the biggest effect. What is drawing a fish from a further location? Um, what action, so this applies no matter whether you're fly fishing or conventional fishing, like what action is causing these fish to move the most? Mm -hmm. And so that's the direction I want to go is continuing to explore that and kind of hone that in. Um, it's, I'm at a point and I'm going to say this and I don't mean this with any arrogance, but I'm at a point where I'm not making super, big strides and advances in my tying. Um, I feel pretty comfortable tying most patterns these days. And certainly there's a lot that I've never tied and I can certainly improve on those things, but I'm making lots of minor tweaks here and there. And those over time make a really big difference. And so I'm enjoying that process. Um, so cutting another eighth of an inch off of a, a streamer and seeing if that makes a difference in the action. Yeah. These really minute things, the small things. Yeah. And, um, 
And honestly, I'm doing that more for me than anybody else. Like, like I said, the ugliest flies will still catch fish, but it's a, it's kind of like a personal pursuit to try to figure out what I can achieve and what I can make. And, um, like you said at the very beginning too, like it's so satisfying to catch a fly or to catch a fish on your own fly. Yeah, it really is. Um, It's hard to beat that. So that was a little rambly, but to summarize, uh, I enjoy tying streamers for trout. That's kind of something that I feel like I'm pretty good at as well. And then the direction I want to keep going is um, learning how to excel at the things I'm already doing and make these little minor tweaks so that they're more effective or they're quicker to tie or things like that. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, And I I saw that you had posted some nymphs and whatnot Mm -hmm. on uh, social media. So are you, are you tying those and selling those or were you just tying those to fill in your own box? So that's a, I don't know that I have a direct answer to that. I, in my head, tie most things for myself and then I tie way too many and then I have to offload them because I run out of space. Um, yeah. So I originally tied them all for me and then I tied about three dozen of the same thing and I'm never going to fish that. So they're inevitably going to end up going to other people <laughs> yeah. too. Um, One of the advantages of, of following Ryan on social media is occasionally he'll be like, I have a hundred brushes <laughs> that I've made that have been sitting here for six months and I'll give you a really good deal on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that plus you'll, you'll have a bunch of extra changers that, you know, you tied that maybe you didn't get time to use or, uh, like we were talking about trout. Yeah. Flies too. So, yeah, no, I, uh, I do sell flies and that is important in some ways, but I also just enjoy getting people into the sport. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm in a lucky position to not be making my full-time income off of selling flies. It's a hard living. There are a lot of people that do it. Um, you're at the vice a lot and you're doing the same thing a lot. And although I really enjoy that, I don't know that I could do it in a way that would sustain myself or my family. Yeah. Um, so I'm able to tie because I love it. And then I'm able to tie in excess because that's just what I do. And then I can sell those things or give them away. And, uh, and that is is its own level of satisfaction for me too, to be able to, I occasionally do like pay what you can sales where maybe this is a fly that I'm usually going to sell for 15, 20, $30. And, um, say, you know, if you give me three bucks, I can get my materials back. Anything other than that, you can pay if you want, but if you've only got three bucks, you pay three bucks. And, um, I don't at all mean that in like a look at me kind of way, Um, but people were really generous with me as I was getting into fishing and I don't know that I would be where I'm at today without that. And so if that's what it takes to get some other people into it, like that's fantastic. That's easy to do. Well said, man. I appreciate that. Well said. Yeah. So what do you think that the plan for your, your fly company is, you know, keep this aside gig for now, Mm -hmm. um, keep them, you know, you don't, in my opinion, I don't know if you can improve much more (laughs) other than the very minute, the things like you were talking about, you know, taking a eighth of an inch off, but to keep this a side gig for now and just keep it, keep it rolling. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, it certainly things can change in the future, but I've got a, to me or for me, a well-balanced life and the way it's at, I, I like it. Um, I'm not feeling any sort of frustration by not doing this more than I already am. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes for me, time away from the vice or time away from the water 
gets my wheels turning a little bit more, gets my gears turning. And so the way that things are set up now, me having, I have a full-time job that I do. And then I come home and tie like a maniac at nighttime, but that time away from the vice gets me thinking about what I want to do next, gets me excited. And, um, so I kind of like where it's at. And certainly, like I said, if it changes in the future, I'll post about it and people can find me that way and figure it out. But, uh, but yeah, I like where I'm at. That's awesome. Yeah. Being in a good place in life is, you know, it's a good feeling. No doubt. No doubt. I'm really grateful. Um, well, I, I feel like we've covered most everything. Where where can people find you on social media? What's what's your t- tell them your name? Yeah, I pretty much only post on Instagram these days. Um, I'm in a couple Facebook groups, and occasionally we'll drop things here and there. But on Instagram, uh, McFall Flies, so M C F as in Frank A L L, and then Flies F L I E S. I just had to think about that way too hard. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's where you'll find me on Instagram. Uh, you can probably search my name and it'll come up, but I'm not really sure. Um, so Ryan McFall is my name. Um, that's the best place to find me. Uh, I don't know. You can occasionally find me bouncing through different fly shops around the state, but that's probably not the best way to get in touch with me. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, Instagram, um, you can reach out to Cam if you know Cam and you're trying to get up with me. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I highly recommend following along uh, with Ryan because like I said you you'll get some good deals on flies here and there but it it's a great source of inspiration um and you'll you'll just see a lot of cool stuff so thanks so much man yeah. I really appreciate you coming on thanks for having me I hope we inspired some people to start getting frustrated with tying deer hair <laughs> absolutely or anything else like if you I'm going to make a little quick pitch here like if you haven't started tying flies and you feel like it's a barrier to getting into it because you don't know what to do and things like that. Like ask some people around you, like if you're connected at all with the community, reach out to me, like I'll, I got extra materials, whatever it takes, like to get you started. You don't need the most expensive stuff. And like we've said, like your first fly will catch a fish. Like it's all good, but it's a really neat way to connect with the water, connect with fishing when you're not on the water. And um, so especially for me, like during the winter time, it's a great time to tie because I'm I'm getting excited for spring. I'm getting excited for the fishing to start heating up. And um, so, yeah, if you haven't done it yet, like get out there and like buy a couple materials, buy a pack of hooks and uh, go get frustrated and then go have fun with the fly that you tied. Yeah. Only one way to get better. Absolutely. All right, Ryan. Thanks so much, man. Absolutely. Have a good one.